Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Okay, so we have all speakers here on stage. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Big Data Small Talk. I am Sabrina, your usual host and developer advocate at Chikuro. And I am super excited to dive into today's topic, which is where should I run my app? We have amazing speakers here on stage today, and we're going to talk about the most efficient ways to get your app running for your specific needs, share some tips and experiences, and break down some key concepts you need to know. But first, let's do some quick intros. This space is brought to you by Shikuto. And if you're here in the audience today and have never heard of us, we're a data platform made to abstract away all complexity of working with data. So we integrate ourselves into your environment and many other open source tools and put it all into your workflow so you can have a seamlessly experience working with data in a way that you don't have to worry about any configuration setups or anything related to infrastructure at all. Yeah, this is a bit about Chikuro, so passing it over to the speakers. So we have Devin here today. Thank you for being here today with us, Devin. He's a co-worker of mine at Chikuro. And would you like to go first and introduce yourself to everyone and maybe share a bit of the work we're doing on Chikuro as well? I'm backend developer. At, or I'm Devin. My name. My name's Devin. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I'm backend developer at Shakudo. I mostly do work to help support these these data workflows and making things easier, bringing tools people are familiar with onto the platform so that they don't need to set them up themselves. I guess that's about it for an intro. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Devin. Uh, we can go over to Pradumna. Thank you for agreeing to be here with us today as well. How are you feeling? Would you like to say hello to everyone? Hey, hello, everyone. Thank you for the invite, first of all. And hey, I'm Pradeem. I'm from India. I basically talk about DevOps and open source and create content around that. I'm a community person, like building communities and helping communities to grow. And yeah, that's about me. Yeah, thank you for being here. I love the content you're putting out. I love the work you do. All these people here are amazing. So. Make sure you follow Fredumna and all other speakers as well. And Calvin, how are you feeling? Thank you for agreeing. Hey, thank you, Sabrina, for inviting me. Hello, everyone. My name is Calvin. I am currently JavaScript engineer and devil at Treble API Management. I love JavaScript. I tweet about JavaScript. I teach JavaScript. Full stack JavaScript engineer should be the title. I do YouTube, I also write blog articles about JavaScript and web development. So I'm just web educator at, at this point. So I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. If you're looking for a JavaScript guy, Kelvin is your person for it. Thank you again, Kelvin. And last but not least, Aditya, thank you so much for joining. How are you feeling? Hi, Sabrina. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much to everyone for hopping over and thanks a lot for having me as well. I'm Aditya. <laughs> I currently work as a developer advocate at AppRight, which is an open source backend as a service platform. For I've been working here for about one and a half years now. 
which and this is effectively not just my first dev dev job but my first job otherwise as well and it's been quite a fun space other than that i i do work a little bit with apis a little bit with cloud i have my hands on cross platform development as well and i do all of that with dotnet <laughs> that's 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 kind of the the language the platform the tool of my preference and i have i have started learning javascript though so that's that's definitely something there but yeah really happy to be here with all of you yeah thank you for joining we can know that we have very experienced people here and all with different backgrounds which is great for us to have a clear view of the topic and okay so before jumping into the questions and explaining some key concepts for it i want to give some room for you guys to share some initial thoughts on how you usually approach choosing infrastructure for an app that you're working on So what things do you take in consideration when making that decision before we go into the juicy stuff? And just raise your hand if you're ready to answer and I'll pass it over. Or just start speaking as well. You can just start speaking. Yeah, I think I can maybe start with some opinions. Yeah. So I I think for me at least now now this this does take into account a few factors here. one of them probably the biggest for most of for a lot of organizations in fact probably most if not all costing <laughs> i i think a major major factor why the why cloud architectures have become so much more common so much more accessible is the lack of initial capital expenditure that would happen on hardware as compared and you know i i think that's that's a major reason that enabled a lot more people to get building with cloud for sure costing definitely becomes a factor right Be- because if if it's not possible for me to procure my own hardware for that purpose that that would be a factor that would come into play i i think other than that maybe regulation and how much privacy of data is necessary that's a major reason why i have observed organizations have on prem services as well security can become a factor there at times but yeah i think those are the first two that that come to mind and i think i've got some great fellow speakers who can share more opinions there yeah absolutely pradumna do you want to add anything yeah yeah great point by aditya yeah i think one of the main reason is like cost and i would include some more points like operation expertise for example if my application need containerization but my team is not have a knowledge of devops like container thing so it's hard for me to go through that route like for example ci cd pipelines are a little complicated for a web developer so and then i think these things also need to be con- concentration like for example what's your team expertise for example there are serverless function where we don't have to care about like servers so those are much better for the web developer so multiple factors like cost like what's what is the expertise and what is the need and i would say one of the major fact- factors is like traffic what kind of audience you are serving for example if your traffic is very huge so you have to break into multiple microservices if you tra- if you have a very static page so a simple versal can be to done job for you yeah absolutely it's very important to keep in mind the people who are building and the people who are using your application for sure kelvin do you want to add anything here yeah sure sabrina so i started back with deploying on the web back in those days we have to ftp into things and also shared hosting and all that 
stuff we had to do. And it's always been interesting how the convenience to deploy applications these days and the great options we have out there. And I want to say what always influenced my choice. First of all, I'm a really simple person. Like in what I mean is I love things to be super simple. And I think people also have that when you take into account where you are right now as a team, or if you're a solo founder, you want to deploy your next big idea out there. You don't want to bust out like just doing IAS infrastructure as a service by yourself. You might want to reach out for something that gives you the platform where you just host and you do like GitHub's to like push stuff in. So for me, what always comes to mind, first of all, is how simple it is to deploy with the infrastructure I'm choosing. And who am I deploying to really? Because when we talk about scale, most of us won't get to scale that quickly, but your customers, where are they and how easy can they access your application? Absolutely, thank you for sharing. Also think, trying to minimize your work on it, trying to minimize the effort you put on it, super important. And Devin, over to you. I think that something that I think you need to take into account the complexity of your application when you're when you're choosing your infrastructure, because typically the tools that like the tools that are designed to make things easier often also assume that you're going to be doing things in a fairly standard way. But if you're doing something that's really different, like if you're doing a voice chat application, for example, I can't imagine AWS Lambda is going to be amazing for that, but it might but it'll be great for other applications. Right. So if you're doing something really complex that you might be forced to use something less managed and manage that yourself. And then the other thing I guess would be the predictability of cost because those more managed tools, you're typically charged pretty much proportionally to your usage versus if you're building some stuff more yourself, you, your costs are a bit more unpredictable. You don't know how much, how much it's going to cost you to get your app to a certain scale because you need to figure out how that scales yourself. Yeah, amazing points Devin is bringing up here. Kelvin, you want to add anything? Yeah, I like the point on the scale and the predictability, of course, which is where we've heard stories of people coming here on Twitter or X, or X where just screaming about the huge AWS bills they just received because, of course, what was promised is you get built on what you use, but we all know it. what you use is it's open to interpretation. So yeah, even though like, like we, we know in tech there's trade-offs, everything has a trade-off, right? So they, even though it's quickly, they help you get up quickly. Of course, the trade-off is in the cost, it's in, it's in obviously the cost first of all and also the freedom you have to do stuff like what Devon said if you want to be the chat app you, would, you really want to don't use AWS Lambda for that I've had my experience of the serverless stuff when I tried to do something custom with it it didn't work for me I had to go back to like a full-blown long-running server so yeah that's just what I want to add it to it yeah this is an amazing intro from you guys and explains a lot of some key concepts that we're going to start tackling into. And I just wanted to also explain another few concepts around it for those of you who may not be so familiar with this topic yet before jumping into any other questions. 
so there's four main different ways you can choose to run your stuff. There, there's many more and different nuances to each one of them, but let's for this conversation, let's say there's four main, main ways you can choose. The first one is on-premises, which is hosting the app on a physical hardware that is owned and managed either by you or your organization, for example. The second one, you choose a cloud provider. And there's many different aspects to this one, and we'll still cover it, but for now, let's just call it cloud. The third one here can be a combination of those. So we can call it hybrid, which is hosting on-prem and on cloud, or multi-cloud, which is using multiple cloud providers. And the fourth one here is containers. So using containers to package and run applications in a consistent environment, regardless of the infrastructure. So you can basically move it anywhere. So don't worry if you don't know the nuances for each one of these concepts. This is what we're here to try our best to explain and how and when to use each one of those. And already jumping into the questions so you guys can have a better outlook of each one of those things. So first question here I have is what are the pros and cons of using on-premises for an application deployment, and when should you choose it? Who wants to kick this one off? You can just raise your hand, or I can pick one of you, <laughs> either one. Okay, Devin, go ahead. I'm not sure which of the other speakers mentioned it, but actually acquiring the hardware can be pretty difficult for on-prem as a, as a con, and then of course you need somewhere to put it. This would probably be the the two the two upfront cons at the very least. Absolutely, Aditya, would you like to add anything? I I think the cost was a major factor because you know as as Devin mentioned, purchasing the hardware upfront, especially before having an understanding or a predictability of how your cost scale could be a major major factor, but. Just in that scenario, for example, I, I think even, even when we started the conversation, one thing I did want to mention is there are times when privacy does become a major, major factor where you do not at times want to be working with external infrastructure providers. I, I think that's a potential factor where on-prem could be more beneficial for sure. You know, aside from that, if, if you do, if you are able to reach a point where you have predicted your costs, for example, it could be easier to control. Thirdly, if like, I, I think a major place where on-prem servers have been very beneficial is with intranets, for example, where you are catering to a certain range, whether it's within certain locations or, or within limited spaces with intranets, particularly on-prem does make far more sense because you are removing internet costs, you could effectively operate without the internet as well. So uh, very circumstantial, it depends a lot on context there as to what your needs are, but there could be potential spaces where, you know, these could benefit because it's also, also going to offer you the highest amount of control on hardware. Yeah, absolutely. You gain control, but you lose on some other key aspects. And it is very expensive, depending on your yeah. use case, of course. Yeah, and I think we can go over to Pradumna. Do you want to add anything? 
Yeah, uh, already great points. And I, I think one of the major drawback comes with the now like servers and something like that. You need to have a dedicated team for each and everything. For example, networking, you need a dedicated IT team, a person who knows networking. For example, servers, you need a dedicated person for who is handling the servers. So I think with the cost, I think what to say, team also increases and more work is also increases. Uh, apart from like benefits of the like in-house is that uh, you have a more control over server. But second thing is pri- many people care much about privacy and data protection. So these are two things majorly came into concentration when you are, tr- when you are trying to put your server like in-house server, I, I would say. Yeah. Nice. And to finalize this question, Kelvin, would you like to share your points of view? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sabrina. So, great points from all the speakers in cost and all. But one other thing is, when you're going on-premises, one of the con is you are essentially going to be doing what the cloud services are doing for you. And that also includes cooling and power for those physical hardware. You have to make sure you power them. Your IT, you have to have in-house IT and also in-house security for all that and it's not the if you're a small team or you're just like a startup it wouldn't be the best use of your time and resources to want to manage those physical hardware or infrastructure yourself so i feel a major con is the maintenance and upgrade because of course you can easily on all these cloud providers scale up or scale down scale horizontally or vertically, all those other jazz. But when you're doing it yourself, it's you, you have to be involved and you have to have teams for that. And up times, like it's all on you at that point. Like this is you taking responsibility for the entire life cycle of your applications from development to deployment. And even in deployment, making sure it stay online. It's, it's it, it could be dramatic, really. Absolutely. And is Great to mention the amount of people you need to do that. It's very unlikely that only one person will be able to take care of the whole thing and have the whole responsibility for themselves. Devin, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I guess there's there's sometimes scenarios where you, you don't have a choice and you're kind of stuck getting the hardware yourself or you're, you're, heavy, you're almost pushed into doing it because at least with some, some of the people we work with at Shikudo, they want lot, they want lots of GPUs to do data inference and GPUs can be extremely expensive to get on the cloud. And you might not be able to get the latest GPUs at all because they have limited stock. So sometimes you, you might have no other option than to provision the hardware yourself. And at that point, I, I guess the choice has been made for you. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great point. Not always you have the necessary tools available and you just have to build it yourself or find that find someone who can do that. In this case, we, we do it for you, but not always might be the case as well. Uh, and okay, so Kelvin, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to chip in. You know, we've we talked about the cons mostly for on-premises, but in lieu with what Devon said, apart from you, the things you need not being available in the cloud, you might be in an industry where you 
for compliance freezing, you have to have an on-premises infrastructure. So again, <laughs> that choice has been made for you. So I just wanted to chip that in that it's possible you, you love all the goodies of the cloud, but the industry you're serving requires because of laws and everything for you to do it on-prem. Nice. Yeah, this is a great overview of, of how on-prem works and some tips when you're using it if you're choosing to use it. And now I wanted to talk with you guys about a very popular tool out there, which is Kubernetes, a tool. And I'd like to know from you guys' perspective the benefits of using Kubernetes. What's an optimal scenario to, to use it? And is there a bedtime when you should not use it? And of course, is it worth the 10 years of experience necessary to learn how to use it? Who wants to kick this one off? And just raise your hand. Yeah, Devin, go ahead. Yeah, I. I feel like the barrier to getting started on Kubernetes has come down recent, like in, in, in the last couple of years, as there's just been better resources and people have kind of gotten their head around it a little bit better. So I, I, I personally find it easier to work with than most cloud providers own like scaling tools once you're beyond a couple containers. Like if you're, if you're just doing a couple containers or just testing something, yeah, Kubernetes is probably overkill. But if you're doing an application that's beyond a few containers, Kubernetes probably has some amount of benefit to you. If not at the very least, it makes you at least somewhat independent of your cloud provider. There's a few things that you need to worry about when you switch cloud providers, but most things are handled, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I agree. And Pradumna, over to you. Yeah, so I am a big fan of Kubernetes and containerization. So, so for, I would say, of course, Kubernetes is not for everyone. It is overkill, I would say, for most of the use cases. But when you want your, what to say, uh, what to say, grip over more, your application and deployment, server, everything, Kubernetes is a way to go. And I think it comes down to when you need, like, serving more traffic and I would say it depends, like breaking in breaking the application into multiple parts, like into microservices, like in containers, when you want more grip over your like whole application. And talking about like recent Kubernetes, like managed Kubernetes, like CVOs and DigitalOcean, it become way much easier. Now you don't need to worry about like your infrastructure. There are a bunch of plugins you can just plug and play. That is the current scenario. And I would say if your application is very basic, like for example, if your application just serves like some web pages and some general databases, I think Kubernetes is not way to go. Some like services like like a digital ocean and Google Cloud can do do job for you, I would say. Yeah, this is a great way to look at it as well. Let's not overcomplicate something that it can be simple, right? Let's not do something more complex than it should be. And I forgot who raised their hand first, Kelvin or Aditya. <laughs> do you guys remember? Okay, Aditya, you can go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me at least, I, I in like at the moment it is becoming easier to use Kubernetes especially with the extensive number of providers, the the way the community scaled. I think for me, at least, I do still always go back to the complexity of my application as well as my audience. I, I think for the first part, if I talk about the complexity of my application, now, if 
I'm working on a monolith. It may not be practical to use Kubernetes. I think it's added complexity I do not need at all. And then like just an example of that could be, for example, if you've got an internal tool that's running for your organization, you've got a smaller set of users, you, it may not be as distributed. Chances, you, you could end up deploying it using, and you know, you could orchestrate it using Kubernetes. It's probably not going to add advantages there because you're not leveraging the benefits of what this tool is supposed to add, right? So it, it does depend on the complexity of your application. And like a, a second, the, the second point I mentioned, the audience, this, this does become a major factor at times. And I think for that, like I could just take the example of our organization app, right? So with that, right, because we're an open source backend as a service platform, the way we allow someone to self-host it is using Docker. We use Docker Compose there, and we do have a guide on how you could use Docker Swarm with it. The reason we've not invested a huge amount of time into developing a health chart there, and it's something that we thought about in the past is because even with the simplicity of Docker, we do find issues within the community with, with the, you know, with people who might still be beginners, right? For example, because a tool like app, right? A backend as a service platform assists those with lesser backend experience the most, right? That, that does become a factor. And for, for us, we did want to minimize the amount of friction. So it could depend on that factor as well. And then yeah, that's what I had in mind there. All right, those are great points as well. Kelvin, would you like to add anything here uh, before we jump to the next question? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sabrina. So I'd like to start by just, you know, in case anyone don't know what we were talking about, Kubernetes and containerized application. Kubernetes is an open source platform for deploying and scaling of containerized applications. And that begs the question, what are containerized applications? So these are applications that are like running in a isolated runtime called containers. And the most famous infrastructure for that has been Docker, but that's not the only containerized runtime out there. But yeah, one problem I have with Kubernetes and containerized application is the technical know-how it needs. I know there are a lot of infrastructure as code out there that try to let you simplify defining these containers and how to network and talk between them. So it's not pretty easy for ev for anyone to just come and say, okay, I have a MySQL container and let it talk to my Node.js backend. You have to do networking between them, right? It's, it's not the friendliest of things you want to do. So again, it's still the same issue of technical know-how and expertise. So you, this is where you need a DevOps person that is dedicated to like, okay, managing your containers and making sure everything works in tandem. So yeah, so that's it. It's, it's, it's good for big team, but I wouldn't advise it for small team. Just use a PAS or something. Thanks, Sabrina. Yeah, this is a great observation. That is, is made for you to build at least a bit complex applications on top of it, and probably those applications will need at least a few people to manage the whole thing and create the whole thing. So this is a very good point there. Yeah, and let's just go to the next question. This is an exciting one. It is about the benefits of using a cloud provider. So more specifically, the serverless and crystallous 
approach to application development and deployment. I feel like this is a favorite here for you guys. Let me know what you think and what are the benefits of this? I think we can start with, yeah, let's start with Calvin. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Sabrina. So the, the one benefit I like about the serverless is in terms of on-demand. So the promise is you have these functions, serverless functions, out there that you could call from your UI when you need them to do something. They do it and they go back to sleep, in quotes. So that could work for applications where you don't really need a long-running backend. You just need something. So maybe like a checkout, for example, you could say, okay, when you just click this button, you call the serverless function, it does this thing and goes back to sleep. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's ideal for most, I wouldn't say last-scale apps because I don't know. I don't really trust it that much. Just my observation. But what I feel is, if you're building something and you quickly, you don't want to manage an, a backend infrastructure, you just want some functions to run when you need them, serverless is your guy for that. You need something more long-running or your your application is data-driven, you you could need a long-running server if that's the case. But it, it's like everything in, in computer science. It, it depends. It depends on how you structure your infrastructure to know that, okay, certain part might use serverless function and you might have a long-running server if that's what you feel like. So for me, serverless is good. On demand, you save cost, of course. You only pay for what you use. The same promise is great. But if you want something that's always there, because there is a startup time, right, to this serverless function. So, and that's where the edge functions come and all that, all that goodness. But yeah, so that's my take on it. Yeah, so we had the... It depends, finally. Yeah, so you have to know your specific use case when choosing each one of those. And we know that, yeah, serverless can be great, but maybe you are building an application that on-premises is a bit better and you have the team to support it, or it has a bit more of complexity and Kubernetes is the way to go. And Aditya, would you like to add anything here on benefits of serverless approach? Yeah, yeah. Like personally, I do like working with serverless architectures. I think I I have found that especially if I have an application which has a larger set of smaller concerns I need to work with, serverless does allow me. Uh, serverless architecture could allow me separation in in an easier manner, and that's effectively because the time to develop with when it comes to serverless architectures, in my opinion, is it's it's a lot lower than with, with a lot of other sorts of applications. The whole benefit of serverless functions is that you take the least amount to, to code, right? Like that that's a major factor. Now, of course, a thing that does a, a little thing that does come into mind is that if you have a particularly complex functionality that you need to implement, maybe a serverless function may not be the best idea, but if if you know your concerns are a lot more granular, it, it could definitely assist you a lot. The on-demand aspect of it is definitely helpful because like for example, if I know that I have certain triggered functions that I need to work on, some sort like you know, functions triggered by some events, which do occur in a smaller frequency, this serverless architecture could save me a lot more money there as well. But 
then again with maybe functions like mass data ingestion or so on where i need extremely long running functions serverless may not be the best idea so then that's come into factor but as long as your concerns are extremely granular serverless does have benefits yeah exactly and this is where it comes the simplicity versus flexibility right if you want more flexibility you will have to choose something that perhaps not serverless and maybe more like compute itself virtual machines or on premises and but if you're looking for something that has less operations is more simple and your team is mostly dev focused instead of infra focused for sure you might want something serverless on the way pradumna go ahead and add your input to this Yeah, I think already great points has been put, but I would say one more thing. Like uh, we talk about like Kubernetes and we talk about cloud, so I I put serverless in between. For example, serverless give you flexibility, but not give complex flexibility. For example, you don't have to care about like servers and infrastructure, but at the same time, it gives you a little flexibility. But if you see cloud provided, it does not give you that much of flexibility. So if you want something like which is less complicated and which is scalable i think serverless is the way to go i would say yeah that's amazing devan your turn yeah i i think we talked about this a little bit before the start but with with serverless tools you do or serverless tools and like i guess adjacent tools like chikudo or or appright you do potentially run into the problem i guess where you might if if you try to do something that's too far away from what that tool was designed to do you might be causing yourself more complexity than if you've written it in the first place although i i think that most of the time these tools save you like they 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 make enough of your application simple to you or like like simpler for you that that extra making the one part a little bit more complex is usually still a net win i'm i might that's just based off of off of my personal experience i guess but Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you and I always say to people those things are made for you to not have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. So there are things that has to be done for application which are similar to each other and not always you need to have like the time and resources to build it yourself. You can just use something that's already built for you and it, it makes your job much more simpler. This is where serverless comes in a very easy way easy tool to use for those types of situations yeah totally agree with you and calvin over to you yeah thank you subrina so while the other speakers were giving amazing points i just had to reminisce in the recent event that just rebuttress the point where you have to pick the right tool for the job so for example like a very good instance is i had the zapier zap that when someone books a meeting with me on calendly for like a ticket writing session i would then trigger that zap like to trigger the zap to send like a task to 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 do it and i think that was costing like maybe several bucks a month and i saw that hey why don't i use the serverless function for this and see if that works right because it's, everyone was talking serverless i don't want to like give you like a try like a pet project and when i did that it sucked for me for lack of better words because 
I think that wasn't the ideal use case for the serverless because what's happening is at the point where that all that happened, there's a webhook that Calendly would send that I would then use to get to the to this API. It felt as if the serverless function wasn't standing up in time to catch the webhook events. So the it was never being updated. So that was just frustrating because of that use case. So I feel serverless would be ideal for use cases where it's the events that call the functions are UI driven, like click on the button or something happens UI wise, but it really did not go well for me when I when I tried to do it that way. And another scenario that I liked was I started using a serverless Postgres provided by Neon. And it was really cool for development because of the whole branching of the DB. I loved it. Then I started thinking, this is all good and well, but what happens when my teammate is in a place for development and it's not really a place that has a great of network? Like there's no really good internet in there. How would they like get access to this data that we're all using as a shared space to develop locally? Because the server, of course, there's a latency of network, right? It's on the internet. So it's at that point when, if you're in a company like an, an office, it's great if there's like fiber network and everybody has good speed internet. That's perfect for that serverless DB. But if it's a distributed team where your teammates could be different parts of the world without, so might not have great internet, it's going to lack for them when they're developing. So that will be bad. So all these factors would have to influence your decision on going serverless or not. Yeah, absolutely. And those are usually the ways that you can deploy your application. So there is cloud serverless, on serverless, there is cloud run, which is a bit more flexible. And then you can use just cloud with cloud functions, which is less flexible, you're, but you're much more managed and auto-scalable. And a lot of nuances to it. And I know that we've covered a bit of this next question, but I, I want to know in a shell, what are the key characteristics to look for that will let you know where should you run your application? How does your budget play in the question? How does your team, how the complexity of your application plays all together? If you were to make a decision, what would you look for? And yeah, just raise your hand and I can pass it over to you. Yeah, go ahead, Kelvin. Thank you, Sabrina. So yeah, we talked about serverless, we've talked about containerized app and on-prem, then cloud services. I say the one factor, especially in do with serverless, is the availability of your application. Do you want it to be long running? Should it be long running? Can it go to sleep and when it's needed come back from being idle? That is a factor. And how deep is your pocket? Right for costs. If you want to do on-prem, say okay, I want to have my data, I want to have everything. Yes, you can do that, but you know you got to procure the hardware, maintenance, upgrade, and all that stuff. So that is the major thing for that. And you you don't really have to, if you're not being forced to, like we've talked about, like there's no compliance reason, and the the technologies you you want is available out there. You should use it. But except you're getting outrageous bills, then you have to revisit and think of other ways to cut costs. So yeah, availability, cost, and technical know-how really is really very important because like I've always 
prefer to use small team or a solo founder, you don't want to be maintaining your hardware. You should not want to be maintaining your hardware because you're trying to get to market as quick as possible, iterate over time, the speed, velocity, and all that is involved. So you don't want that to slow you down. So yeah, so speed, velocity, availability, then cost to play, and of course the technical know-how. You don't if you if you don't have the resources to get a separate team because when we talk about DevOps and Kubernetes, it's not like a one-man thing. You're going to need multiple personnel to do that. So, yeah, so that's my take on that. Yeah, those are great points. I agree with every single one of them. And anyone else want to add something to what Calvin said here? I've had a very similar thought in mind as well. Because, yeah, like, for example, for a smaller team, a younger team, it, it could be really, really difficult to handle the costs of building and then sustaining an on-prem system. Yeah, right. like plus, for example, if you if the priority is getting to market faster, you do want to use a solution that will enable you to do that as well. Like that, that that's a big reason why for teams that have more dev-oriented folks and more other than infrastructure experience, like you know, that have more dev experience rather than infrastructure experience. So and past systems work a lot better than in IS. And that's effectively because your know-how is going to matter a lot in those contexts as well. So yeah, like I, I mostly agree there. Yeah, nice. I do want to ask you guys as well about multi-cloud and when do you think it should be used? Why do people use it? And what are the benefits of having it? Or cons of having it. Yeah, I was just... Like, I have seen some contexts where it works out, right? Where maybe you want to cherry pick specific services of different platforms. That could be a factor at times where, you know, you want the best of different worlds. Like, I, like for example, I might want... And then this is just hypothetical. Maybe I want functions of Azure and I want big data services of GCP and I want three of Amazon. I, if I have certain reasons, if I prefer certain services, maybe being able to get the best of all worlds to either optimize for performance or cost, that, that could be a factor that comes into play. Yeah, like that, that's, that would be the prime reason, reason for me at least. That's nice. Calvin, would you like to add anything? Yeah, thank you. So I would come from a very pessimistic angle. So in this rare scenario where the cloud provider A goes down, you want to have redundancy and reliability if your application is not the type that should go down at all. So that's one use case. I feel it's really like you want to reach for multi-cloud. So you could have like your application running on two different cloud providers in the instance that one is down. So it's like redundancy, yes, but it's needed if your application, it is mission critical, all right? So that's very important. And also cost effectiveness, maybe one services in cloud provider A is cheaper than cloud provider B. You'd want to like, okay, I would do like maybe X, Y, Z on this one, then because this one is more cost effective, I'll do it on this other one. And also innovative technologies, even though they're offering two same services or products, one might be way advanced in terms of 
the tech they have and you 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 feel you trust the tech you could of course go for another cloud then you keep on using the part of this cloud that you like so that, that's for me reliability and redundancies in case of outages it doesn't happen all the time but those rare cases it could really hurt your business if your business really needs to be up and running yeah yeah i like this kind of safety aspects to it devon go ahead Another thing that you might want to consider is if you've got a low latency application, that by going across multiple cloud providers, you can provide endpoints that are just physically closer to more of your customers and cut down on the, the round trip latency to your servers. I, I think that's more applicable in like real-time applications like game servers and such than to your typical web app. But if you're in that scenario, then multi, multi-cloud is a good way to get more geolocation like that. Ooh, that's a very nice one. Aditya, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I, I think one additional benefit that kind of just hit me is having a multi-cloud approach could also prevent vendor lock-in to an extent, right? Because you've got a, instead of depending on one single vendor and ending up hitting a scenario where maybe the vendor decides to take away a service, it, it does help you prepare and just, ensure you you aren't in a problem that, you know, caused by a decision that your vendor might make. And this actually does work out well for organizations that are trying to capitalize on, like, organizations and services that that are focused on very specific niches that could be helpful there. But yeah, I I think avoiding vendor lock-in is definitely a factor that comes, that counts as a proof. Yeah, over to you, Prasumna, so we can jump to the next one. Yeah, absolutely great points. I, yeah, I like the Devin's point, like geo thing, I, because, for example, if you see some countries have different kinds of servers, some, some contains more AWS server and some contains more Google server. So latency is a big issue, I would say. For example, back in like uh, four or five years back, India does not have any AWS server. It it had, but it was read-out server. So using a different service was much more better. So geolocation thing, I would say. And second thing I would say, data persistency, depending on a single cloud provider or vendor, sometimes can be trouble when you are working with data and databases. So this is a one point I would say, data persistency is a great point when you are choosing multi-cloud service. Yeah. Yeah, this was a great point indeed. Great thing to keep in mind, I think. The most easy way to think about it is also in games. So I think we've all been there. But definitely if you're running a similar application that that needs low latency, that's something you should know. And final question here for you guys before we open to the audience and uh, is how does it work from your experience? So you can, can you provide examples that you've seen of when would it be appropriate to use each one of those methods? And have you done something that it was better to do it one way and you end up doing another way and you had to do it over again maybe? What's your experience look like in this scenario? Yeah, Calvin. Yeah, thank you, Sabrina. So it's, from my experience, my the example I gave earlier, where it wasn't ideal to do what I wanted to do with the serverless function because of the startup time and 
it just wasn't the right tool for the job at that time. So in that scenario that I need to listen to webbook events, I would suggest like a long-running service on a cloud provider. I personally use Render. So that would just cover it. So the server is always there waiting for that. And there was this recent article by DHH of how it's moving to on-premises, leaving the cloud. And what I gather from that article is, you know, they've had decades of experience of being on the cloud, right? So they've gathered, they've learned, they've known how their services or architecture would work, and they're confident enough to say they're going to cut costs and move to, like, a fully on-premise architecture. So in that scenario, I think the moral lesson is once you've learned a lot of how your business model or your application works and you know enough, and of course you have deep pockets, you could go acquire those hardware and have your own premises. But like I said, it's always enough. You have enough money, you have enough technical know-how. That's when you would move from like the cloud and also move to like on-prem. And for Kubernetes, it's... Uh, it, it's mostly for me, I'd say if what would make me make me want to move to Kubernetes is if I have teammates skilled in the arts of orchestration of containers. They know Kubernetes really, really well and are confident in making it work in tandem from maybe I'm coming from like the cloud. That's when I'd like to move to that kind of way of deploying my application. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I like the breath you took when you said Kubernetes there. Razumna, um, over to you. Want to add anything? Share your experience on this. Yeah, I will talk about Kubernetes. Yeah, I would say don't do if others are doing. Many people started doing Kubernetes or trying to deploy their whole infrastructure as a Kubernetes, but don't do if others are doing, I would say, because in most of cases, Kubernetes is overkill. If you have a that level of scalability, that level of workforce, that level of people having in your team knowledge, because Kubernetes is not Kubernetes itself. You have monitoring system, you have logging system, you have, I would say, networking system, controllers, many things. It's, it's a single technology, but there are lots of components and lots of add-ons. So you need to consideration and and uh, trust me, data handling is very painful in Kubernetes, like databases and data persistency. So if you need that kind of scalability, like you are serving like good amount of traffic, then and and one of, one of the best use cases, like you have several services binding together and you have a separate container or sort of microservices for that, then Kubernetes is a good way to that, go for that because you can separate team for that and each team is working in its own container or something like that. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And Aditya and Devin, would you like, would you guys like to add anything before we open to the audience to ask questions? And by the way, if you're in the audience right now and want to ask the questions for the speakers here, just request and then we will add you to the stage. So yeah, go ahead, Devin. So I, I think my experience might be a little bit more on the like same idea, but more on using frameworks and libraries inside an application. And I, I think I just generally, I, I'd go back. I feel like I, I ended up reinventing the wheel a lot on projects, both like in in school and after school. 
like after I graduated at work and whatever. And it's, I feel like I should have really thought through my pro, like thought through what I was trying to do more. And I realized that I probably could have made better use of existing tools, whether it be, I probably could have made better use of tools like Firebase or AppRite when I was doing mobile development. I probably could have made better use of existing frameworks. And I guess that just comes with, comes with experience to spot those patterns and know what tools will help you with those patterns. Not specific to these, these cloud setups, but as far as going back and doing things again, I, I think the, the general sentiment still applies. Yeah, I can relate to that when you do something that is much more complicated than it should be because you don't know the existence of a tool yet or just a service that can do that for you. And yeah, I guess we can go over and wrap everything up. If you guys want to share any final thoughts on this topic and share anything that you are participating on or a program that you're building, this is the time to tell everyone in the audience. And I think we can start with Calvin. Okay. Okay. So I guess the question is final thoughts or anything I'm building specifically? Yeah, just final thoughts. Share your project, your current projects, uh, the content you're building right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. So, like I earlier said, I'm the JavaScript guy. So, I have a community called Salescast Community on Discord, where if you're learning JavaScript, you're advanced in JavaScript, you're intermediate, if you're building applications in JavaScript, you come. We are really active. We do weekly workshops on Wednesday. We just had one today. We also do wins of the week because sometimes we just overemphasize on the things we, are, we, we don't do right rather than things that went really good in the week. So we try to make you think about those things that come tell us on Fridays. So it's really cool. And if you're doing JavaScript, you could come join us over there. Salescast community. I could leave the link in the comments here. And before we wrap up, I just want to say everything we've talked about is really great and I really love it. And just like in software, you can apply the same principle to deployment and where you keep your app. You start from simplicity, then scale your way up by learning and reiterating over the process. So thank you, Sabrina. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Over to you, Aditya. Would you like to share any final thoughts and the projects that you're building right now? Uh, yeah, sure. First of all, a huge shout out to all the speakers we've had here. I think we've had some wonderful insights throughout. Just just going back to that, it you know, I, I think especially within this space, it since since the cloud space is still we we've got established solutions, but it's still one that is continuously growing. It's seeing newer updates, newer services. Always just make sure you're planning before you're choosing what services and what architecture to move forward with your application that that's definitely going to be a very very important factor because at the end of the day you have as as a developer as a founder as maybe someone in your devops teams or as, as anyone who's making a decision for their product you need to make sure you're doing the best for your company for your circumstances and just just make sure you keep that in mind whether you need to optimize for cost whether you need to optimize for performance, whether privacy is a bigger factor, just just make sure you understand what you need for your product and pick a solution accordingly. Yeah, that that's effectively what I'd have to say there. Yeah, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Over to you, Padumna. Final thoughts. Give a shout out to anyone. Share your project. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the amazing space. I learned a lot with, with every, every speaker on the panel. And I thank you, everyone, for joining in the audience. Yeah, I would say choose wisely and do homework before, like asking questions with your team, like what's the end goal and what is your, like everything. We talk about like pricing, like scalability and everything. Yeah, 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 that's it. I don't want to shout out anything. Yeah, shout out to you for hosting an amazing space. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Great points were brought up. I might just write a blog or a thread or something about it later. And yeah, thank you for for joining. And finally, Devon, thank you so much for agreeing to be here with me today. Any final things you, you'd like to say to everyone or projects you want to mention? Yeah, I just, it, it occurred to me right now when we were wrapping up, we talked a lot about how serverless tools there can be that that like they, they can help you simplify your problem but then if your problem diverges a lot from the, that tool's assumptions you can run into to some problems and i mean as somebody who who works on tools like that that's something that i try to keep front of mind like with shakudo we, we lean really far towards the like i think we're, we're very much towards the serverless or serverless adjacent space but we try to provide we try to build it in a way that the users can can get that escape hatch so it's easier for them to make that part. When they have that part that just doesn't quite into our or doesn't quite fit, fit into the idea of a data pipeline, we have escape hatches. Uh, Aditya and the people at AppRight might be able to somewhat relate to to this to this problem at all, but as far as you want to want to be able to make it easy for people to work on their applications even when they don't quite fit into your your assumptions and such. This is a great point to mention, and, and thank you for mentioning that, that this is exactly the idea we want to fix with Shakudo, right? Give you all the power of serverless while also giving you the flexibility. So you get both, right? You get simplicity and you get flexibility, and you can build your application with the best of both worlds. And yeah, thank you for adding that, Devin, and thank you all speakers for being here. Thank you everyone on the audience for joining. This has been an amazing spaces. And yeah, I see you guys on two weeks with the next Big Data Small Talk. Thank you.